Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sitting with Sean, episode number 12. Today, I have a very, very special guest. Her name is Heather. Welcome, Heather. Hello, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing very good. Um, I just had a baby two weeks ago, so things have been a little a little hectic, but I'm really happy, you know, like with everything that's happening in my life right now, and I'm just really grateful and I'm here and I'm present and that's that's the whole like the whole meaning to life at the moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tell us how the baby's doing. Oh, they're very good. You know, I have a, um, my older one is five and then I have a two year old and then the two week old. Nice, nice. And what's the two week old's name or you have a special name? His name is Coda. Oh nice. What does it mean? Um, well in I know in like Lakota, um, it's like friend, ally, and then in Japanese, it actually means like loyalty or loyal one, and I learned that from a friend of mine, and I, I think it was the perfect name. That is awesome. That is pretty awesome. So, uh, so Heather, would you like to give a formal introduction of yourself? Uh, yes, my name is Heather. I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I've been in recovery since uh, December 2nd, 2018. Um, that is the first day I was sober. I actually woke up in jail the day before. And that um, was... Can we go see Dad, please? And that was, um, you know, I, I didn't consider that my sober date. I considered that, you know, like... I was still waking up and so the second and I didn't quite enter recovery at the time um, you know I was in jail for a few months before I was accepted into a program that pretty much saved my life yeah definitely definitely so so guys I uh, I've known Heather I've known Heather for about two years now um, we really didn't did, like she's a part of the AKTCA, the alumni program I'm, I'm a part of, uh, but I didn't really interact with her. I didn't really interact with a lot of people at first. So I was kind of like, a, I felt like a loner. And then um, we were doing a peer support training where I was, I was training people and uh, Heather shared part of her story and, and her experience, strength and hope. And I was like, holy crap, she's an amazing human being. So right off the bat, I want to thank you for being an amazing human being and a beacon for everybody in your community. Thank you. Yes, definitely. And, you know, uh, Heather's, Heather's been one of those people that, uh, that has, has opened up and talked about a lot of what's going on with her, uh, what has happened with her and, and, um, and, and where she's at now, and and I'm I'm just I'm I'm truly honored to call her her friend and sister. And uh, she's she's just an amazing human being. You know, Sean, I was really happy to meet you too. Like our when I first joined this program, you know, it felt like it was like so small. And there was only a few of us. And, yeah. Um, it was uh, Carlos, Tommy, uh, Steve. They, they pretty much like drew me into this and um you know it, it, there was like this this trust that I felt with them that just it, it they're amazing people Ron um God. I think that's all this was started when I started or the, all yeah. the people that were there when I started 
Yeah. I'm a proud, I'm proud to be a part of this journey that everybody is on and, and proud to be, have everybody be a part of my recovery because without them, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing this. So, uh, Heather, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about what it was like in your active addiction? My active addiction, wow, it, it really started at a very early age. Um, I was I was 10 when I had my first drink, and, you know, I grew up in a very alcoholic, abusive home, so my friend who had the first drink with me, you know, was also in the same uh, similar home style, and... Yeah, we stole our parents' alcohol and drank and thought it was fun and it was the thing to do, you know, because, you know, that's how we saw the people around us have fun. And that was just like the beginning. Uh, I didn't start doing more until I was 12 when uh, a lot of harder drugs were introduced to me along with harder alcohol. It was no longer beer. Um, I had my first taste of, I can't remember what the first one, it was a dark liquor, I believe it was rum. And we just, um, that was where it started. Um, some things, you know, I linked a lot of that, my unhappiness and my depression with drinking because it made me feel good. So that was, what I did. Every hard point in my life, every time something bad or tragic happened, I would turn to drugs, alcohol, uh, uh, any other addictions, you know, sex was an addiction. And I just, I just kept going and going. And like, I felt like it just, that was it. That was how my life was going to be. And that continued all the way up until, you know, I woke up in jail in 2018. Yeah. I had a few moments where I would try to sober up, but I think my, where I was failing is that I did not take into accountability my own actions. And like, I always just thought, you know, if I just quit drinking, everything's going to be okay. But then something would snap up in my head, like, um, you know, we just talked about worst case scenarios and I would, I would instantly go to like the worst thing and like, and then I would dramatize like a simple little act in my head and make it into this huge deal when it was nothing and I would drink over it and I would move over it and I would self-destruct and can you go see Bobo, please? You're like, I'm so sorry. It's okay. No worries. Here. Mom. Here. Mom. 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 Here. Can you go watch that with Bobo? No. Okay. Um, where was I? <laughs> um, well, I would play these, these, uh, you know, I would always play victim in my head. Um, yeah. And... It wasn't until I, I entered therapy that I realized where all of this was coming from. And it was a lot from, um, you know, my alcoholic parents. Uh, you know, I, there was 
a lot of PTSD I had to deal with, a lot of neglect, a lot of, um, it, you know, I'm, the trigger warning for some people that are listening, you know, like I grew up in a home where there was a lot of uh, sexual abuse and, you know, all that trauma, like I, I built up in my head and I always felt worthless. And, um, you know, I had a mother who would always tell me things like, uh, I would never amount to anything. You know, I would never be a good mother. I would never be a good wife. And the only way I would ever be a good wife was laying on my back and taking it from somebody. And those are the things that she told me. Um, my grandmother, you know, she would tell me horrible things like, um, <laughs> one thing I always stuck in my head is that she told me once a girl has sex, she's ruined for life. She's never going to be wanted or loved. And, and that that really damaged, you know, my, my uh, adolescent mind. And so, you know, like, so that those are just like uh, things that came out of my past that I carried. So, you know, the worthlessness, the hate, the... the I, I hated myself. Like I never felt like I would ever amount to anything. And and you know, and, and like I would also hurt people a lot during my addiction. Um, but my husband now, you know, I was not, I was not good to him. And. You know, I, I was the one who cheated. I was the one who continued to speak with other men because I, you know, I, that worthlessness, that it just, it wasn't that I wanted to hurt him. That was not my intent. You know, I still loved him. I still cared for him. But, you know, I was just so messed up up here in my own head that I was not going to allow myself to be hurt by anybody. So I always constantly had to do the hurting. I did this to many family members. Um, uh, you know, and I felt like, you know, some people would, I always felt like some people would lie about me and make me a, a lot worse out to be than I really was. So I just continued to try to be the worst person so that, you know, like, at least they're not lying about me. You know, so that was another thing that was, I was protecting myself from. It was always constant, just wreckage in my life. And um, yeah, and so when I woke up in jail, I, I was I was kind of relieved. Um, I knew before I woke up in jail that I wanted to change. I needed to change because I sobered up for a couple of years for my son, but you know something happened, and I went right back into that spiral quick, and it was like. I think I was sober for a year and a half, maybe almost two. But the same stuff, just, you know, just self-destruct. I have to hurt others. I have to hurt myself. And so when I, when I got arrested, I remember looking at the police officer and I was so happy that he was there. Like, you know, the old me would have been irritated. Like, you know, you're ruining my fun. You know, I'm drinking, I'm yeah. driving, I'm highly intoxicated. I got my partner in the seat next to me, my son's dad. He's intoxicated and I'm driving and I know I'm falling asleep at the wheel. So I know this is a dangerous situation. I know that I'm putting him in danger. I, I know all this, but I still don't care. 
But when I saw that police officer, he was not, you know, like I've been arrested before where I've been, I, I you know, I've, I've been beaten up by the cops. And, but like, for some reason, I could see the look in his eyes. Like he had concern, like he was scared for me. Yeah. And I felt that. And it just, it felt so comforting. Like when he told me, he's like, you know, we're going to have to arrest you. I was like, okay. All right, let's go. And I got yeah. up and I just happily went with the police officer. I happily got booked. And, you know, even though that, that all that was happening, I still didn't feel I woke up in, in jail the next day. I was getting sent to Highland. And my, my, my kid's dad and my grandparents, they were all trying to raise money to get me out. And when they all had the money to bail me out, I was like, no, no, I, I think, I think I'm going to stay in here for a while. And, um, I knew about wellness court. I was denied the first time because I told them I didn't have a problem, but this time I went before the judge and I, I just told them I needed help. And I remember crying and I, I feel emotional about it now because like, I was just like, help me please. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to ask for help. I don't know how to, I don't know how to stop. And so they got me in the wellness court and, um, you know, it took four months. This was right after the earthquake. So everything was closed down. Everything was delayed. But in, in that four months, you know, like I prepared myself mentally to keep my mind open to try these things, to do whatever I needed to do to change that those feelings of worthlessness and those feelings of self-hate and self-doubt. And, and that, I think, was the beginning, you know, like the beginning of me wanting to do recovery, but I still was not ready. Still wasn't yeah. ready to stay sober. I still wasn't ready to. I wasn't ready to change. And um, I, I don't think that moment came until I was out of jail. I was in the program, and I was at one of the alumni groups, or heading to one of the alumni groups, and somebody from my past. Um, you know, he's a stalker, pretty much. Um, he saw me on the side of the road. He pulled up in his cab. He's working, right? He pulls up in his cab, doesn't care. He gets out, and he's trying to get me in to go into his cab. Like, he's, like, walking towards me and trying to grab my hand and try to pull me, like, you know, like, hey, come with me, you know? Like, I got some drinks, and, hey, I got I got some I got some blunts, and, you know, just going on and on about all the, all the drugs and alcohol that he has on him, and, and I pulled away and I ran across the street because I was right across the street from the church. And I ran in there and I'm bawling and I'm crying. And I'm talking about this guy who wouldn't, just won't leave me alone. He's following me. And, you know, I was in a room full of men and every single one of them rolled their eyes at me, you know, like, you know, I'm just like this dramatic woman who's like crying over some guy. And, I don't think anybody knew the danger that I felt at that moment, except for 
two of the guys who are actually in our alumni group and and they listened to me and they they didn't belittle what was happening to me that suddenly I, I felt like you know like I could trust these guys and I can see in their eyes that they didn't want something from me like a lot of men or you know like wanted something they wanted something they wanted to build a relationship to get something but they didn't want anything out of me and it was that day that I was okay and I I started sharing and I started opening up and I didn't give a shit about those other guys that were in the group because they didn't matter like they made me feel at that moment that I didn't matter I was not going to let them make me feel that way again and that's where my strength that's where everything just opened up and um, I, I, I lived with that for a few weeks until my mind and everything started crashing down again I started feeling helpless and worthless and I I didn't like it so I went to the treatment team and I was like I think I know what my problem is I can't deal with what's going on in my head I can't handle these feelings and I need help and they're like okay let's get you a mental health assessment and the judge was like uh we have one we could probably get you in in two weeks and i was like no two weeks is too long i need one now because i cannot handle i can't do it i don't know what this is but i can't do it and um so they got me a mental health assessment the next day and they got me in as quickly as they could and i'm so thankful that i asked for help because yeah. I just couldn't do it anymore, you know? Like, that was... I, something needed to change. Yeah, you know, um, in those moments, like, advocating for yourself and standing up for yourself and saying, I'm not, that's not acceptable to me, that completely beneficial, and that benefited you perfectly. You know, and I'm, I'm so glad that you did. So glad you did. And first off, right off the bat, I want to say I'm sorry for everything that happened in your life. You didn't deserve any of that. Um, nobody deserves that treatment whatsoever. Uh, you didn't deserve what was said to you. Um, and, and that's terrible. There's a culture that needs to change, and we're working hard on changing that. And you didn't deserve any of any of the wrongful treatment that you got. And, and once again, I'm sorry that you went through that. I really am. Um but next, you you talked you talked about about associating you know your substance of choice or, or substances and actions with with uh, with happiness. Like you start to feel happy, you know, and, and uh, you know when you're using them. And, and I can relate, man. Like like I loved I and 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 I'll be the first to admit it. I loved getting drunk because I had I had the sense of like letting go. I didn't have to worry about anything around me. Um, if, if I got, if I got completely wasted, um, I could wake up in the morning and blame it on the alcohol. I didn't have to take accountability for that. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimate, yeah. But ultimately that, that was the problem was there was zero control over what I was doing and, and my life spiraled out of control. And, um, you know, and, 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 and using the substances of choice and using, using um you know actions that that we that we take uh as a trauma response that you know that's completely you know understandable it really is 
it, it really is. And, 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 uh, you've had a hard life. Yeah, I feel like I did, but, um, you know, I'm not going to say that all that trauma made me stronger. It really didn't. It, that no. did not make me strong at all. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I became a mom at a really young age, a single mom at 19, and she passed away right before her third birthday, and I took that, you know, horrible, and those experiences did not make me stronger. What made me stronger was um, realizing that I had a choice like i didn't have to allow my past to control me anymore i had to i had to let that go i had to move forward i had i had to learn how to love myself um you know once i started to learn how to love myself and respect myself i cut out so many people from my life just simply because if i didn't feel respected by them or love or any kind of connection that was it you know i i just i cut the string and yeah. i did that um to family members i did that to siblings i've done that to um aunts uncles you know like a lot of people and um the more i learned about myself the more i learned about family and the more i learned about what generational trauma is um you know what a lot of what's coming to light now is boarding schools and the more I learn about that and the more I learn about my own family uh, my auntie the youngest one I think is 50s 60s right now she lived through the time where families or children were so taken away from uh, their native communities and their native families including the boarding schools and learning about that you know like it it really helps me to understand where they came from and where I am in, you know, the family circle. And it brings a lot more understanding instead of hate and anger. And Yeah. You know, you made a statement and, and that statement actually has surfaced this past week. So saying that you, you know, hearing that you said it like kind of is like, wow, this is a, this is a God shot here. Um, is that my trauma didn't make me stronger. That's absolutely right. The word trauma is not meant to be empowering. And I don't, I think a lot of people get mixed up between recovery and trauma. Uh, recovery, recovery makes you stronger. Trauma yeah. fucks, fucks you up good. It, 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 it fucks you up good. And that's why we're here, right? We're here because of the trauma. We're here because of the, the traumatic events and experiences that, that we went through. And, um, you know, uh, I, I can completely relate. At first I read it and I was like, eh, I don't necessarily agree with that. The more that I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Okay. It's absolutely right. And then now that you're saying, I'm like, you know what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this rings even more true. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah. I, thank I think you that made a lot of sense to me too, because a lot of people would always say, like, um, I, "I'm sorry you went through that, but all that made you stronger." Like, but I would, I, like, that didn't make me feel good, and I, I couldn't understand. I couldn't pinpoint the words that why that didn't click with me, and why that I didn't like that, um, that statement. Um, it's just like when somebody loses somebody, you say something like, um, "They're in a better place," and. No, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I don't either. I, I wouldn't agree with that statement either. Um, and you, you talked about you talked about generational trauma. Uh, explain generational trauma that uh, from your, your standpoint. Uh, generational trauma. Um, I can only speak on my experience of generational trauma because you know I'm Alaska Native, and um, from what I see is that things that my grandparents went through, those beliefs and those um, the forced assimilation, cult, the loss of culture, the loss of language, uh, all of that uh, trauma was passed on to my parents. And, you know, like I, like I said, you know, my parents were not, they weren't good people. And um, my mom was not a good person. She was a great friend. Um, you know, a lot of people remember her as being a great friend. Uh, she was not a mother. And, um, but I'm not mad at her anymore, you know, because I don't know what she went through in her life. I don't know what possessed her to be, what she was to me and to my siblings and to our home. But I can understand now because, you know, like I, I look at um, things that my grandmother says and she still continues to believe she is very um, brainwashed. She believes that Christianity is the only way um, and that, you know, good girls have to be good girls and they have to serve their men and they have to learn how to cook and they have to be, you know, she's really uh, brainwashed, whitewashed. Uh, it just, she has no culture. She has no um, language. And I could see that that pains her. And that's where I stand now is I can understand that and I can break that cycle. I can break that cycle of abuse. I don't have to continue that with my children. Um, where I'm standing is I'm, I'm trying to learn more about my culture, more about um, my people. I'm trying to learn some of my languages. Honestly, there's, there's not much of our language that's left. Um, my, I think my biggest strength right now is knowing all of this and not projecting that towards my own children. You know, I don't want them to um, grow up thinking, I want them to grow up knowing that the real history, but understanding that that is history and we can move forward and still grow in a healthy lifestyle, a healthy home. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to end the prejudice that is within our family towards anybody, you know, it just never made a lot of sense to me, but I think I'm personally blessed with um, being open to new, new experiences and new people and new, you know, cultures and new, new everything, just an open mind, you know, open mind, open heart. What village does your family come from? Uh, my family, my, my dad is from Grayling. My mom is from Shackliffe. Um, I was adopted by my stepdad. Uh, so I grew up in Pedro Bay in Iliamna, Bristol Bay area. And so those are, those are people I grew up with thinking that, you know, well, they are my family. You know, they adopted me and there's, I have plenty of cousins and aunts and uncles who call me family from that end. Um, 
my dad and I, my dad entered recovery before I did. So we're, we've only been building a relationship for the past seven years. So I'm, I'm getting to know more and more of my, that side of my family. Uh, growing up, I didn't know him or the family or my bloodline. And you know, that, that caused a lot of confusion um, as to who I was really uh, biologically related to and everything. And yeah, that's a lot of different different stuff for another time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can I can understand that. You know, and and, and that and um, I have I have a participant that's that's native, and um, and he, I asked the question one time, and, and I said, "What can you give back to your community?" And this was just a broad question to the to the the group, and, and he said, "I don't know what I can give back to my community." And I looked at him and I said, brother, I said, the fact that you're here and that you're getting sober, that is what you can give back to your community. Yes. And, and he was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, I said, I said, Native Alaskans or Alaska Natives have been plagued with addiction for so long. And, and there's been little to no hope but you are that beacon of hope and heather you're that beacon of hope you you you're that change that that your community needs and that and that the alaska native people need and 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 i believe in you wholeheartedly thank you Sean. as you were describing that it gave me goosebumps uh that's something that wasn't told to me but something i realized uh you know, a couple of years in the recovery because I have uh, nieces, nephews, younger people within my community and within my family who do look up to me. And I didn't see it at first, you know, at, at first I thought it was, it, it was foreign to me. It was weird because like, I never felt like I was a leader. I felt like, you know, like I, I was a good role model, honestly, to anybody. And when I had younger people coming up to me and asking me how, how do I do it? I was like, well, you know, I start by loving yourself. Um, do things for you. And, you know, after that, you'll, you'll begin to see a change. The change will come around you because I didn't explain like what loving yourself does, but that is that, that that was what brought in my mind was just simply loving myself and then everything around me changed oh yeah you have the power and this is what we're not told when we enter into recovery is that you have the power to change your environment around you just by you changing yourself and that's that is that's crazy to think about that one little action that you decide to take can affect everybody around you. You really have to be selfish too. You know, in our active addiction, we are selfish people. We are very selfish, uh, self-seeking. Being entering recovery and doing recovery is something that we have to switch that selfishness. We we have we still have to be selfish because in order to to in order to recover, 
how should I word this? In order to recover, you have to do it for yourself. You can't say, oh, I'm sobering up for my children or I'm going to sober up for uh, my grandma. I'm going to sober up for, you know, you can't sober up for other people. You can't do things for other people. You got to be selfish. You got to do it for you and put that first because you, you, you can't do it for your kids because you can't do for them first what you need to do for yourself. In order, when you do something for yourself and you love yourself and you can, you know, you're whole, then you can give because then yeah. there's more to give. Absolutely. You know, um, I don't know if I told you this or not. I've had stints of sobriety where as like a year or two years sober and, um, and every time, and I always did it for other people. And every time that person left, I was left to my own devices and I was like, Oh, I got nobody to be sober for. Fuck it. But now, now I'm doing it for myself. And, and I know, I, I know that if something bad happens, I don't need to drink because I still have myself. I still have to wake up to myself. I still got to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. I still got, I got, I still got to hear the things that happen in here. And, uh, and, and my life is much more beautiful now than it used to be because it was a controlled chaos. And I wouldn't even say controlled chaos. It was just chaos. It's madness. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, so we talked a little bit about what led you into recovery, but, uh, what was your program like when, when you entered into therapeutic courts? Uh, what was it like for me? I, I was very, I, I fought it at first. I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. Um, I didn't like anybody that was doing it. <laughs> I didn't like, <laughs> I didn't like anybody. Um, I, I was very, oh my goodness. I don't know why I was fighting it. But I remember somebody saying that they didn't think I would make it. And I can see why now. Um, yeah, I was very mad at the time when that was that was told to me. Like, yeah, fuck you, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, who the hell do you think you are? But, like, on, it was an honest statement from somebody who was telling me something that they honestly saw in me. And, um, man, what was it like? Um... I, I took it with a grain of salt. I, although I didn't like it, I still would remind myself of what I prepared for in jail. Okay, this is something I have to do for, for me. I got to keep an open mind. I got to try all these things that they want me to try. Um, I fought against AA. You know, that AA was not something for me. Um, it's not that I'm against religions. I just, I felt uncomfortable with them, you know just has a lot to do with my past and um but I went I went every single day I found a sponsor I found a mentor um I did I just did all the things um I hear a lot of people speak about MRT and how that changed them uh what really stuck out for me in my program was um I can't remember what exactly it was called but we pretty much um, think about the future. You know, we think about scenarios. Uh, we write scenarios down, like uh, our trigger warnings. That's what it was for me. Relapse prevention. Yes. Relapse prevention. That was, for me, that was like my recovery because I needed to know what my triggers were. And, and I needed to play the tape forward. 
something I've never done. You know, I've always been very spontaneous. I'm going to, like, I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to go, you know, jump off the cliff into this river and I'm not going to think about the consequences. You know, I'm not going to think that far ahead. I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, that was always how I lived. And um, so looking at little scenarios like that, and what can happen really helps me now because like, I still, you know, every once in a while something will trigger me. And, you know, I've, I'm almost four years clean and sober now, but you know, little things will trigger me sometimes and I'll think about using and I'll feel it. I'll feel that high and I'll crave it all of a sudden. But then I stop myself because I know exactly where that's going to go. And I know exactly how that's going to play out. And those feelings, dissolve yeah so that yeah (laughs) yeah i I, you know i I did like relapse prevention too uh because i never like like you i never really thought about to be honest i never thought that like certain things triggered me at all i just thought my 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 natural reaction to things was to drink and i i just thought it was instinctual you know And, and so when i really started to find out like whoa there are it, you you have you have a relapse cycle and you can stop it at any point i didn't know i could stop it <laughs> i had no idea i was like i can stop it at any point <laughs> you know and and that was beneficial to learn and and you know uh and building a relapse prevention plan like i loved i loved every bit of it it, it was it was great um but i think i think a lot of people like if you it's either uh, like one of two things in that when you get into the program it's either you completely like surrender and you're like, okay, I'm doing this uh, and, and it's going to be all good. And then there's like, let's resist, let's resist, re- let's resist until I can't resist anymore. And then, and then that's when you're like, all right, I'm done. I give up. And I think that's a, a different dynamic, but it leads us both to the same place, it, you know, and, and, and I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, I really am. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, no, no problem. Find your way into this program as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like, like you said, like you said, you were happy. Not, not necessarily happy that you were in jail, but like you, you knew at that point, like I need help, and and this is the only way I can get it. And at that point, like when I was arrested, and I was sitting in jail, I like at the time I was like, man, fuck this, I don't want to be here. But looking back, I'm like, dude, that was like the best thing that's ever happened to me like getting arrested sitting in jail for that 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 amount of time and, and it was really what i needed for me to be like okay things need to change and if they don't change now i'm gonna die yep that was the only options i had left over too yeah um, yeah it's, i think another thing that i missed saying is that you know when i was in active addiction i was i was waiting to die mm-hmm. like i didn't really care i was I kind of wanted, I wanted it, you know, I wanted death because I didn't want to feel the way I did. Yeah, um, absolutely. I loved being in the program so much that I, you know, I took my time with everything. I wasn't trying to rush through uh, MRT or relapse prevention or treatment for that matter. I, I wanted to stay there. I wanted to soak up everything I could and uh, when it came to me graduating from Aquila, I was scared. I, I didn't want to take that next step. I didn't want to graduate yet because I didn't, 
I didn't know what to do with myself after that. Um, when it came close to even graduating the program, I was terrified. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Um, I did. And when I graduated, you know, and I wasn't being weighed all the time, you know, I, I did smoke a lot of weed and, but the thing I stopped myself because I, I started doing it like I would drinking. I would have to constantly do it. And I just, I felt like there was just nothing, you know, there was no groundwork. There was nowhere for me to go from graduating treatment. Yeah. And then I got, you know, a text message from Tommy. He was like, Hey, we need a, we need a facilitator. Are you, are you available? Are you interested? And I was like, yes. You know, I didn't even think anything of it. I just said yes. And, uh, I think that kind of pulled me out of the funk a bit, you know, because I, I then I was like, I had to focus again, you know, like I wanted to, like, I can do this. I want to help people. And, um, I just kept, kept showing up and, you know, that's what they all, like everybody always tells me, just keep showing up, just show up, just, just keep coming back. And, you know, I think that's, it's exactly what I needed because, you know, I'm here now, I'm, I'm present, um, you know, I'm very, I, I love, I love that I can be here. You know, my family really needed me. We, we went through a few hard times and we lost a few people. Uh, you know, my, my grandparents passed, uh, my niece passed. She was very young. She, she was only 18, uh, accidental drug overdose. And, you know, I'm just... I'm so thankful that I've been able to be present and be there. And, um, you know, death is not something that we look forward to or that we necessarily want to be there for, but I'm very grateful that I've been able to be there, not only um, sober and in the right mind, but also I can be there for my other family members who, you know, we're all going through this together. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and you, you talked about being present and, 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 and being, being terrified to graduate the program. I was, dude, I was terrified. I didn't know what I was going to do. My, the way there was two way of life I knew. And one was active addiction. One was recovery. And I felt like I had no connection when I would leave the program, even though like, my judge was like, oh, you can always go to alumni. I had no point of contact in alumni. I had no clue what alumni was. And uh, and then, you know, um, the clerk of courts contacted me, and she was like, hey, yeah, by the way, uh, we want to start up a veterans group. And I was like, that's cool. I don't know who to talk to. And so she pointed me in the way of Ron, and, and you know, Ron was like, yeah, man, uh, your family now. I was like, I don't even know your last name, bro. Like. <laughs> How can I be family? I don't even know your last name, but I, I understood what it meant and, and what they were trying to do. And so they, they, they corralled me in and, and, you know, that was, that was one of the best feelings. Cause I'd never felt like I belonged anywhere. And, and now I feel like a sense of belonging so much. So like I enjoy going to groups now. I don't despise it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, what, so what is it? What is your program look not, like now for you? Um, now, 
Wow. Um, you know, I do stay connected. I, I've been a little distant lately because, you know, like uh, I've had to work and try to prepare myself for maternity leave and all that other good stuff. And, um, but I still, you know, I still talk to everybody. I still enjoy our, our group texts. At, at first I hated being on that group text. I was so angry, so irritated. Like, why is my phone dinging? And like, you know, it just goes ding, ding, ding. And it's like everybody having a conversation, but then I enjoy that, you know, because I still feel like I'm connected. I still feel like I'm part of them and I can still reach out. And um, it's a lot easier for me now to talk about things uh, when I need to talk about them. Uh, I could, when I feel like drinking or using, I know where to go. I know how to connect. I know where, I, what to do. <laughs> you know, I still go to AA once in a while just to be around other people who are sober. And I, I can call on our group of people at the alumni for anything. I called, I called up, I called up Ron and Steve and I was like, Hey you guys, um, I want to get married. And, uh, Ron is like, well, Hey, I, I, I'm a, um, I, he's a certified, uh, what do you call that again? Uh, ordained minister. He's or yes, he's an ordained minister. And I was like, all right, would you marry me and my, my husband to be? And they were like, yeah. So we got this little like group of like nine people together, including my sister-in-laws and my nephews and nieces. Like, we just had this simple little ceremony. That's all I wanted was a simple, small ceremony with people there that are meaningful to us and the alumni or my family now, you know, and I, I don't know what I would do without any, any of them. Um, I, you know, I still, I still keep my distance um, from everybody. I, you know, I, I still notice that I keep people at arm's length in a way. Um, you know, I do that to my husband. I do that to my kids sometimes. Um, I'm very, uh, things I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not very affectionate. And uh, those are things that um, I'm glad to know about myself because, you know, like I could work with that and then my family, you know, I could tell them, like, I don't feel like being touched right now. And, you know, it's, it's okay. And um, I continue to facilitate uh, when I can, because, you know, like, I feel like even though I'm there for them and for the court and I'm doing this for, for other people, like it does wonders for me. Um, it continues to show me where I am. And when I'm facilitating a meeting and some people are just like, thank you for being our facilitator. Thank you for sharing or thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Those little simple, acts of kindness or those words that I get from our participants is just it's mind-blowing like I I sometimes feel like I'm almost selfish because I feel like I get more out of it than they do but in reality you know we're, it's a give and take yeah yeah and uh, my children they're they're not perfect but they're not I you know they don't I don't see in them what I saw in myself growing up. And I I know, you know, like I need to know 
I know where to go for that too. I can go to parenting classes if I ever need to learn anything else because there's programs like that too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you, you hit on learning something or getting something from, from every, every group that you facilitate. Uh, I get something from everyone that I do too. And it's, <laughs> it's insane. I could be in the worst mood ever. And then as soon as I click join meeting, I'm like, Oh man, I feel so much better and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's like something in the brain that clicks and I'm like having a better mood, but you know, I, it, it could be, it could be a meeting that's super deep and super heavy hitting, but like I get something from it and it, and it helps me along. And then I come out of the meetings in a much better mood. My wife even is like, dude, you're in a great mood. I'm like I know I just got out of a meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I can definitely relate. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I've, I've been asked this question and I'm going to ask you the question. Uh, if you could, if you could go back and do it all over again, would you? Yes. Or would you change anything? No, I think everything kind of went exactly how it was supposed to. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely wouldn't change anything about it. I, I, it was something I needed to do and needed to go through. Yeah. Yeah, I always say that I wouldn't change a single thing because if I did, then I don't know that I'd be right where I am today. Yeah, I wish I would have been a lot kinder to myself. I guess that's one thing. Um, I wish I would have known that I, I needed to be kinder to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What what does being kinder to yourself look like? Um, not criticizing myself, not looking at little imperfections at myself in the mirror, uh, not hating what my body looks like. I remember growing up, you know, like I hated the color of my skin. I hated my broad nose. I hated my cheekbones and I wanted a smaller face and a smaller frame and uh, I wanted to be skinnier, which didn't make any sense because I looked at pictures of myself as a teenager and it looks like I really needed to eat. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I, I would criticize even thinking things that I shouldn't be thinking. And uh, I would hate myself and I would tell myself, I would tear myself down and tear myself to pieces. And, and now like, I love everything about me. I love my hair. I love my eyebrows. I love my nose. I love my skin color. I'm comfortable with who I am. Um, I'm no longer feel like I could let other people walk all over me. And I just, I'm, I'm so, I'm, I love myself today. And I, I feel good in saying that and being able to say that. Um, I, there's people I talk to in recovery where they don't, they feel uncomfortable saying that they love themselves. And I completely understand. And I know that feeling. And it took a lot of time to be able to say that. Yeah. You know, uh, I can, I can agree. You know, I, I've always, I've, you know, I joke around about being short, like that, that's the thing, but that. The joking around about being short is what, you know, now isn't so bad. But uh, I used to be like, man, I really, 
I really hate that I'm short because I get so much shit for it. Um, and, and like, you know, I'm, I haven't always been the biggest guy. I haven't always been the most, you know, I don't have the biggest muscles, uh, you know, uh, my hair is receding, <laughs> like all these self-conscious things, right? All these self-conscious things we look at in the mirror and we beat ourselves up over, but those are things we can't control. Like, I mean, I can control my eyebrows. People are like, dude, I love your eyebrows. I'm like, they're just eyebrows, man. <laughs> they're just, uh, you know, they're just eyebrows. And they're like, oh, you got perfect woman eyebrows. I was like, I mean, that's cool. But like, they're just eyebrows to me. And those you are things. You have some nice eyebrows. I have yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> I got to shave my unibrow because I start to look like a caterpillar. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, and that that's why I, I've had to learn to accept myself for who I am, you know, m the physical uh, of me, because um, I, I'm, I'm made the way that I was intended to be made. You know, uh, there's nothing that, that I can do to change it. Sure. I could botch it. You know, I could go and I could go and, and shave my eyebrows off and pencil them in, or I could go and, and, you know, I can't get any taller. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I can't get any taller, but you know, I could do certain things, but that's not how I was intended to be made and by my creator. And, and so, so, you know, I'm just grateful for to be alive today and, and, and to be where I am at in my, and my recovery. And I, I'm glad that you are where you're at in your recovery because uh, we're amazing human beings when we're off out of our, out of our uh, addictive personalities. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who's going through it or is thinking about getting into recovery or still in their active addiction and still on the fence, what, what, what advice would you give them? Do it for yourself and be selfish in doing it. Yeah. That is exactly what worked for me. Um, you know, I, in the beginning, I even had, I had to put my recovery before my son and it didn't feel right at first, but it made a lot more sense when, when I realized the outcome Yeah. and how it worked really. And, um, yeah, cause the more I was able to recover myself is the more I was able to give to him. And the more I continue to be able to give to him and to my other children. Absolutely. Absolutely. It starts with you. Yes. It does. It starts with me and ends with me. And that's Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Heather, thank you for being here. Uh, you're really an inspiration. You really are. I just want you to know that. Thank you, Sean. You're an inspiration, and I'm glad that you're a part of my recovery, and and I'm glad to call you friend and sister. I really am. I'm really happy to call you brother, and I am just I'm so excited to be part of this, and I'm I'm glad I'm I'm proud of you. Uh, starting you. this, this uh, channel is, you know, it's something I definitely wanted to be a part of too, because this is. This goes way beyond us and this yeah. is something that it, i mean this this mental health recovery movement it still feels like it's so fresh and it's just you know it's still it's something i wish we would have realized a lot sooner 
you know, just simply being there for one another and helping one another and sharing our own stories. Who knew that that was, you know, the beginning of recovery. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, people were like, Oh, you're doing such a good job. And I'm like, dude, it's not about me. This has nothing to do with me. I'm the catalyst. I'm literally the person that clicks the button, asks the questions and that's it. Um, it, when I shared my story, it wasn't for me. I didn't share my story for me. I shared it for the person that that's struggling, the person that has some childhood trauma, some, the person that that is is an alcoholic or or a veteran or or an active duty service member that might see it. That are like, I can relate, and, and that's why I ask other people to be on the show. Is it has nothing to do with me. It it it, it has everything to do with you getting your story out because sometimes we don't have that opportunity to share our story and, and talk about those things that, that, that really bothered us and, and where we were at and, and what we're doing now, you know, and it's also about showing, showing the community and showing, you know, normal people what's really normal now, to be honest, but it's about showing the, yeah, normal. It's about showing those, those normal people that, that we are better when we're away from our substance of choice that we, we, do recover and that we can recover and that at the end of the day we're human beings we all make mistakes sometimes we make bigger mistakes than other people but that doesn't matter because what you did in the past doesn't define who you are now and and so that's why i wanted to do this and get this get this started and, and i i'm so grateful that you that you are a part of this you're gonna touch lives i guarantee you so with that, um, I we're going to end the show. Um, thank you, everybody, for sitting with us for this hour. Thank you, Heather, for being here. It's always a pleasure to interact with you and, and talk to you. Thank you so much, Sean, for this opportunity. All right, guys. Uh, I hope you guys have a great day. Much love and uh, happy, uh, happy Sunday because it's Sunday. Happy Sunday. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you for listening.